What's good, streaming people? Welcome to Canell and Bell. Danny Canell off today. Tommy training with Raja. Raja, what's up, man? How's it going? Chilling, bro. Holding it oh, down this I'm week? In and out. Yeah, there yeah, I go. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, we're good, man. How are you? Good. No, it's been, uh, got back from vacation. It's a good week. Kind of getting it. The trade deadline yesterday was, was pretty crazy. It was funny because all of the action happened pretty much after the trade deadline. Obviously, you got to get it in before, but all the stuff that was announced late, including what we talked about at this hour, Zach Granke was like the biggest things. So yeah. The day leading up to it with, uh, Will Middlebrooks and our guy David Sampson was like slow. It was kind of ho-hum. And then it got out pretty fast. And of course, uh, we broke that down extensively, both here in Fort Lauderdale and Stanford, Connecticut. But we are talking football, Hall of Fame game back tonight. So technically football back for every week for the next months, right? So we talk about training camp tales and there's a lot of guys fighting for roster spots right now. Obviously veterans are there and you've got the high priced rookies that are there. Sure. It's interesting. Like some of the things. That guys want to do like the the thing with me when I used to cover uh, college guys that would go the pro route and it actually helps depending on the position if like you are an undrafted free agent because then you can go and figure out where sure. you want if you're like a late draft guy sometimes it's tough because you're handcuffed and if things don't work out you get let go so um, what about you like in terms of camp obviously with the basketball aspect of it, it's a little bit different in basketball yeah yeah but I mean it, it, it you know if you are a late second round draft pick. Um, and you're just locked up by a team that's got four people at your position under contract. I mean, the writing's kind of on the wall there. So I've always maintained, you know, and I didn't, ha I would have loved to have been drafted. I wasn't, but having the flexibility to kind of go out and pick a roster where I had a better chance of making the team uh, made more sense for me. It gave me a better, you know, just gave me a better chance uh, to fulfill that dream of playing in the NBA. You know, one of the interesting dynamics once you get into camp though is, you know, a lot of guys, pros, you know, five years plus in, you know, they're coming to the training camp, you know, just to kind of get the, you know, knock the rust off, get the wheels moving again, you know, WD-40 up the joints, you know, kind of play their way into shape, a lot of them, um, until the pre, until the preseason starts. And then you're, you're taking another step up in, 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 um, intensity from preseason. And then by the time you hit regular season, you're ready to go. But as a young undrafted rookie or a guy trying to make a team, your job is to hit, the first day of training camp with the most energy you could possibly have. So you're going as hard as you can go in every drill, trying to steal every ball, trying to block every shot, trying, you know, you're just there with a bundle of energy and it, it sometimes can rub the vets the wrong way, if you mm -hmm. will. Like I remember playing with Derek Anderson. Um, he had played, I think at Ohio State, transferred to Kentucky, really good dude. He was on the San Antonio Spurs, but he was at my spot. He was a two guard. Uh, you know, had made money and, you know, I was there just hungry trying to make the team and I was going so hard and I was fouling if I had to and I was holding and I remember him getting upset with me because, you know, there's kind of uh, like a, an unwritten kind of code with vets where we're just going to kind of get through this. You know what I mean? We're going to, you know, we're going to make it look good for the coaches for a while. We're going to get through it. We're going to get to our second two a day and we'll do that for a few days. And I just couldn't afford to do that. Um, and cause I was there trying to make a team. And so th that dynamic becomes interesting in camp when you've got that young, hungry guy trying to make a roster versus that, you know, five year kind of secured vet who's just kind of there to try to get in shape and he's got to be there. The one thing for me is always, uh, that I have in terms of basketball to button this up is, is Tyler Johnson. I covered him in, at Fresno State, undrafted. Then he pops with the heat and obviously got that deal and he had with the Suns. It's like, uh, it doesn't happen, I think, maybe as often in, in hoops as it does in football. We saw some video right there of the LA Rams. They, were, they used to be a hard knocks participant, right. you know, and that's another thing that you get 
uh, from Hard Knocks, and, and we get to see a little bit more of that, um, you know, when it's all cut up, and obviously HBO does the bit, but you go, you got the young buck, and then you've got the veteran, as you mentioned, yeah. like, and sometimes they're fighting for the same spot, and, and the dynamic of like, and especially if it's a quarterback position, it's like, how much do I want to groom the guy? How much do I want to be the guy? You know, I have no you know, if it's Joe Flacco tonight, obviously with, with the the Broncos, he doesn't want a mentor. He's he's out there trying to get his one last shot. So that's right. one of the cool things about training camps that you know Hard Knocks gives us that glimpse. We don't get to see all of that, but it gives you at least an idea of what goes on in the locker room. I always felt like, I mean, you know, the Lion King just came came back out, right? So I took my kids to see it. It's the circle of life. I mean, you know, you, you I had good vets. I had guys that looked out for me, uh, despite the fact that I was there trying to make a team. Now that I had some that, that weren't trying to share any bit of wisdom with me because, you know, that was their job. But I had others who understood that they at one point had good vets, um, and that kind of tutelage kind of helped them, you know, cut their teeth and make it as a pro. So I always kind of felt like, even if I competed until the very end, like when I had Gordon Hayward, um, and Alec Burke, uh, and guys like that as, as rookies when I was, it, in Utah, my last time around the block, I would compete with them. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I want to start. I want to play. Even if, even if I know you should, you know, that's what allows me to be in the NBA is I still want to compete. But man, I got to try to hip you to what this is going to look like for you going forward. I'm going to try to give you some of the, 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 the tricks of the trade and try to help you along the way. That's my job. Someone did that for me. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of what makes that whole thing what what makes that whole thing work and what you know how you develop good pros because those those kind of tricks of the trade are passed along um and, and guys are able to kind of take them and do what they want with with their career with them and then pass them along to someone else and so I never really understood the guy um who wanted to keep all of that to himself do you know what I mean like yeah. it was it's a rite of passage like that's what someone did for you it's what you should do for someone else it doesn't mean you can't compete against that guy and want to protect your job but you are kind of there to kind of help him along and and teach him the ropes you know and that leads to our next conversation, uh, which is about Baker Mayfield. The Browns, obviously, too, have been hard knock participants, so we got to kind of see him get his little what is it, the Winnebago or trailer yeah. for the quarterbacks, yeah. and, and and him evolving. It was different for him, obviously, being the anointed guy. Although you don't have that right away. Tyrod Taylor was there, and it's different this year because he is the guy, right? Freddie Kitchens and OBJ's now in town with Jarvis Landry, all the guys. And so over the weekend, we're talking about speaking of camps and things. Um, Mayfield briefly screamed at his receiving core for not working their way back to him while he was scrambling. Explained Wednesday blowing up on them that way was about getting on the same page as an offense, saying, quote, those guys know that's a big part of our offense, and they know that who can be, you know, Mayfield we know now can run around, make plays. Went on to say, it's just the fact that if we get lazy and let things slide, we need to be open to communicating right now. And he ends with saying that's what the good teams do so again you have a second year guy coming into camp but he's in a position that he's the qb1 which is the most important position in football what do you make of that dynamic of other guys and and it's obj and landry those diva positions and even the big uglies up front with the linemen basically him coming into this being leader saying those things i think he has to when you when you are um you know, in a position like Baker is where he's trying to take that, that next step into a, a, another stratospheric quarterback and prove to people that he was warranting of the number one spot. And you're trying to elevate a, a Broncos, I mean, a, a Browns franchise, uh, to a level that they haven't been to. You have to take the bull by the horns and you have to lead. And I've got no problem if guys aren't, aren't doing their job with you as the leader, you know, stepping up and holding guys accountable, even if that means you have to scream at them a little bit. What, what I would say to that, um, and I would caution Baker is you have to pick and choose when you do that. It can't be all the time. Your volume can't always be on 10. 
You know what I mean? Like, because sometimes, you know, the message is lost. They're like, oh, that's just Baker being Baker. You know, like, so sometimes, you know, you're not as heavy handed and your volume might be on a three and you might go over and whisper to Tommy, Hey man, look, you know, on that route, you know, you didn't break that off when you needed to, or you saw me kind of leaving the pocket. I need you to check back a little bit, you know, and, and you'll, you'll do that at a volume of three. And so, you know, when I go to 10, you know, I mean business, you know, this meant something to me. There, there is, this was a personal thing. And so you pay attention to it. And, you know, I, I think that is well within his right to do that. Um, I am not of the belief that like, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and guys like that um, can't handle that. They've never been around quarterbacks that have done that. Like they are, you know, a quarterback's job um, is to lead. And so I think those guys are used to being led. They just have to have respect for you and they have to have respect for the fact that what you're doing is in the best interest of the team um, and, and it's going to lead to teams winning. And if you if they do, you know, then they'll follow. So I got no problem with Baker doing that. And, right, it's it's a thing, too. It's got to be organic, right? If, if it's in Baker's DNA to be like that where he's kind of sometimes hooting and hollering a little bit, like, hey, man, you need to come back or you need to do this, and we've seen him – show that through his rookie season and coming in his second season. It's funny, we showed the graphic. I didn't add David Njoku, who's a young tight end. Kareem Hunt was on that list, although he's not coming back until the end of the season. It's funny, the Duke Johnson thing. Uh, obviously, Baker had some comments with Duke Johnson earlier with OTAs in minicamp. I, I think the position, as you mentioned, uh, lends itself to be the leader. But I will say this, too, because if you're a guy that, that doesn't big hoo or hoorah guy, like, and then all of a sudden you try to be that guy, I think people see through that, and they, they, they smell that BS from far away. Right? You have to be who you are. Like, guy, you, you spend too much time with these guys, and they know who you are. So if you're faking it, um, that, that's a player or a coach. Um, locker rooms figure that out right away. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. Like, you know, my shtick, I was a I was a yeller. I was a wear my emotion on my sleeve type of guy. And so, you know, there were times in our locker room where – you know, it'd be halftime of a game and we'd be getting beat in a game I didn't think we should get beat in. And, you know, I'd MF everybody in the locker room and go off yelling and screaming. And for the most part, guys responded. I didn't do that every game, but they, they knew that's who I was, man. That's the way I, you know, it's the way I practice. It's the way I, you know, interacted with them on a day to day. Steve Nash was the opposite. Like, didn't yell or scream or, or really ever do any of that. Um, guys still followed him. Um, because Steve was who he was. He'd just come talk to you. He'd lay out, you know, why it didn't work or what you need to do or, you know, however he approached it, but it was genuine to who Steve was. It was who he was every day, you know, and guys would follow that. So yeah, I agree with you totally, Tommy. You have to stay in character and be as authentic, um, as you can be if you want guys to follow you. They, they don't follow guys who are all over the, the map. If you don't know what you're getting from a guy from day to day, he's probably not a good candidate to lead your team. Coach Freddie Kitchen said that he has no issue of Mayfield yelling at his receiver or any other player on the team. So stay tuned with the Browns. Moving on to another quarterback, Dak Prescott has been talked about. The Cowboys really have been talked about because they have uh, issues in terms of some contracts coming up, but most notably on the offensive side of the ball, you got Amari Cooper who wants to get paid, Zeke Elliott who really yeah. wants to get paid, and Dak Prescott. Prescott, of course, uh, the quarterback, same class as Zeke, where he wasn't the first-round pick, so they don't have that fifth-year option. He was a third-round pick where he now wants to get paid. The quarterback position wants to get paid. And this is from the undefeated. Uh, Prescott saying, quote, I don't get distracted. I put my focus into this. Um, that's the easy part for me to do. And so despite apparently being on the verge of, of getting that massive payday, he insists he's unfazed at all, adding, quote, it'll happen when it happens. I know I'll be better by the time the regular season starts. This is the interesting thing to me because, again, the way the NFL is structured, the, the quarterbacks are getting paid, running backs are not, right? And it's one of those things where you've, you've had that argument and, and you've had that, I'm sure you've had that conversation with Danny throughout the season. It's like, who's more valuable? Is it going to be Zeke 
or is it Dak? Right. Zeke's the better player. Right. Right. Zeke's the better overall player, but he plays a position where you can devalue him financially. And the tough thing is you're going to have to pay Dak, and it's going to be in the high 20s. If not, we've seen a bunch of 30 now, the new 30 you know, threshold of, of quarterbacks getting. And so um, he seems pretty confident, and I think he should be. I think Zeke's the other one where he's got to be a little bit more worried. What are your thoughts here for Dak? Yeah, I just – you know, I really appreciate the way Dak goes about his business. Um, and this is like classic Dak. He, he is, you know, pretty unfazed. You know, he just and goes. He's been that way. Speaking I, of guys that are always who they are throughout his time with the Cowboys, he's, he's kind of been this even, he steady, steady keel hand. kind of guy. He's a steady hand for whatever he may lack in glitz and glamour. And, you know, you'll throw the stats up and tell me this quarterback does this. And this dude is steady. If you, if he's nothing else, he is steady. He's a steady hand. He's a steady personality. Um, and that's why he is a good leader. And, you know, we talk about quarterbacks and, you know, being the CEO of, of the company and having to stand up at the podium and represent the brand. And don't you want them to act like this? You know, basically just saying, hey, look, man, that'll work itself out. I'm not getting distracted. We have games to win. Like that is if you were sitting down with the PR people from your franchise and and you were laying out what you would say to the media in regards to your situation um, and, and the pending like contract, this is what you would script for him to say, right? This is what you would tell him to say. And, you know, I just appreciate that, that Dak conducts himself like that. Now, it's not for everybody because I've always said, you know, I support dudes going after their money and leveraging whatever situation they have. And they handle that in different ways. So, you know, I, I could support another guy for going off – you know, and saying, hey, I'm going to go to Cabo and I'm not going to check in. Like, I'm fine with that. Right. But I really do appreciate the way he handles his business, saying that, A, he, you know, this is going to happen when it happens. He's focusing on football. You know, those are the things that I can control. That's some steady leadership that you need on a team that is going to be trying to vie for a Super Bowl, especially from that quarterback position. And then, B, when asked about his his teammate, he's like, look, I'm not getting into that. I'm not getting into that business. And that's the way all pros should approach another man's contract. Like, we don't count each other's money. Don't ask me about Tommy's contract. Like, I can't focus on that. That's Tommy's business. We're here to play football. Once you start commenting and taking the bait uh, about somebody else's money, the next thing they're going to do is divide you. They're going to take what you said, and they're going to use it to start a, 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 a you know some sort of divide in the locker room and try to break that up. It's the nature of, uh, of the beast in terms of media. And for the two young guys, Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott, by the way, we were showing the graphic. Like He statistically, and people sleep on him because he's not that glitz and glam kind of guy. He's so efficient, and the numbers prove that, and we showed that. Uh, 26 years old, obviously out of Mississippi State coming in. The, the the thing with me, too, is that it's important for him to be there. And I know he's got a few years under his belt, but they've got a new offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore who's who's in the system. But, again, this is his first year calling the play, so it's important for them. And, Zeke, if he misses some time and holds out a little bit, he can come back and, and still produce and, and be fine, I think. The, the interesting thing with me, too, about how the situation with him and the Cowboys is, again, not that it factors because we think that's how Dak and his people – Perceive it. It's just they have the comfort knowing that the quarterback position will eventually get paid. And, and we talk about Le'Veon Bell holding out. The running backs tend to more because they have a little bit less faith and a little bit less security. So therefore, they are much more inclined to really hold out, as we've seen with Le'Veon Bell, some other players, including Zeke now out in Cabo hanging out. Yeah, no, that that makes sense though. I mean, you, you know, eventually, uh, it's like if you, you were a super figure, max yes, player, you you're going to be fine. Yes, you have to figure Dak out, right? But I do think. Um, 
that that's who he is in general. Like, I, I think he, he conducts himself. I've watched him for long. And it doesn't take long for you to figure out who a guy is, right? Like, he's an unflappable dude, man. Like, he came up, he's a fourth round pick. You know, like, he, he didn't know what his future was going to look like. He's there, you know, and, and, and playing football and loving to play football and the money's going to take care of itself and it'll get around to it when they get around to it. I, I, everyone wants their bread. Some guys, you know, obsess about the bread. Some guys don't, you know, and I don't think, I don't think that Dak is an obsessed dude with the bread. I think he's out there playing football trying to win football games, and because of that, he's going to make the bread. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, welcome back. Canell and Bell, Tommy and Raja here with you. Time to talk some hoops. And the Trailblazers have locked up their dynamic duo of C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard. Remember when we did our top five duos? Yeah. And we had them on the verge, and mm-hmm. we kind of kicked them out because mm-hmm. they – It's a duo league now. It is a duo league. And we didn't even add Kevin Durant and Kyrie, I don't right. even think, because uh, all of a sudden the Paul George and – Kawhi Leonard thing took right, but so we have McCollum getting that three-year, hundred mil extension, which ends up being about a five-year deal for him. Dame, we know, locked up that four-year, one ninety-six. Mm. So yeah, mm. <laughs> is right. So you, you got the two here, and they're a smaller backcourt, obviously. And look at the money right there, that's Elijah. A, that's I mean, that is uh, that is video game money, and that that's is TV you, money, and that is a time where I'm sure you wish that. Uh, you were in the league about 15 years I later. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind being in the league. So the, the conversation, and, and it says right there at the bottom, is will they ever be good enough to win the title? And your nah. answer is? Nah. Hey, look, I mean, I, we, I, yeah, be good because enough. this is my job, I will I will expand on that. But like, 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 Listen, well, man. You have to. They are, fill they're, time. they're fantastic. Um, and if you had done duo, like in terms of best backcourts, that was a whole nother conversation. They'd even be higher on the list. Um, but, you know, it's not because necessarily those two aren't good enough. It's just they haven't figured out the recipe around the edges. You know, they haven't, they haven't really filled that team out. Now they took a couple swings this year. Um, Nasir Little was a value pick in the draft. Like he had slipped all the way down and, you know, maybe he could be that, that dynamic type of wing player that goes out and defends the Paul Georges and the Ka- Kawhis and he can score and, you know, I don't know. They they tried Mario Hazonia, could be motivated still to prove that he's in the NBA. Kent Bazemore for a while was a good name. I think since he's kind of got the bag, so to speak, that I don't I don't know that he's necessarily the same player that he was before that. But they they have been lacking that type of player for a while. These two guys are fantastic. Um, you know, Nurkic when healthy it, it is really nice. I, I know that they're probably projecting Zach Collins to continue, you know, on an upward trajectory and that will help. But at the end of the day, um, I do believe you need a dynamic wing to play in the NBA with the likes of the LeBrons out there, 
I just talked about Paul George and Kawhi. You've got, you know, uh, Kevin Durant. Like that position is a premium position now. They don't ever have that. They have two relatively small guards who are both phenomenal, um, and, and not a whole, whole lot around them. And then you factor in that the Western Conference, you know, the Western Conference now with the Clippers for the foreseeable future, the Lakers, you know, what the Rockets did. I know that's a chemistry experiment, but I still really like the, the, the Rockets, the Warriors when healthy. I didn't even talk about the Jazz, who got exponentially better, and the Nuggets, who are, I don't know if they were the youngest team in the league, but they had to be one of them, um, and, and they're going to continue to become better. I just think the Trailblazers, while a great story and still a playoff contender, I don't see them winning a championship and navigating the Western Conference with that roster. I think what's tough, and you've mentioned all the things that is ahead of them in terms of the hurdles and the challenges, I think what is interesting to me is about... Look, if you're a team like Portland, much like OKC, much like Milwaukee, every pretty much Indy, I mean, you can name all the small markets and even some of the big markets, Sacramento, you have to lock up guys when you can. And, and fortunately for Rip City and Portland PDX, like they, Dame and, and CJ like playing there. Yep. The only problem is, to your point, and they kind of need that third guy, whether it's a fringe all-star, whether it's a wing or just a dominant Athletic big now. Whether Hassan Whiteside is, it's funny when they, that trade went down. No people, people in Miami. The no. funny thing, by the way, before, before let me go on a slight tangent. The funny thing was, remember when that deal went down? Every there were a lot of people in Portland happy, yeah, like, happy to get Hassan. And Whiteside. Miami was just as they, happy. Oh yeah, they were, they were like, oh yeah, yeah, like you guys up there on the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> you can have now, them, and right. vice versa. By the way, so and, and Miami's the same way with what they got in return. But I think I think that's the, the key for them. Is when you get to free agency, we know next year's class, 2020 is not going to be as good, but 2021, are you able to attract a free agent? Can you draft the next potential superstar or trade? Because you're just not going to be able to, to manufacture it or have the benefit of the doubt that some of the other big clubs get. Yeah, that's always a challenge of a smaller market team is, is drafting these guys or, you know, I mean, obviously if you have the potential to, 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 to have that lottery pick and you already see a, a proven entity there. You go and get it, right? And then retain it if you're Portland. But, you know, finding those kind of diamonds in the rough at, at other points in the draft, kind of a la San Antonio, developing them, um, and then keeping them, those become critical, uh, when you're those smaller markets because you're, you're just not the same type of draw as some of these major cities. Now, if you're telling me that in a few years, like two years down the road, they wind up with some sort of third level star or a, a number two and it bumps CJ McCollum down to a number three, like, yeah, in the, now we're talking, right? But, you know, in the absence of that, just these two, as good as they are, and they're fantastic, man. I love when I have my boys watch players like on YouTube to watch like their videos and their highlights to try to, you know, pick some of the parts of their games. Like these are two of the guys that we have in rotation all the time. I think they're fantastic. I just think there's some flaws there with the way, you know, that the team is built around them in terms of winning championships. Yes. They can still win a lot of games. Sure. And then let me button this up with, with this thought. Because what is the difference between, and we talk about how they would be elevated if it was just the backcourts. The backcourt in Golden State is fairly, I mean, Clay Thompson changes things because he's an elite defender and he's about that six, six, seven, eight frame. And then you have Steph do the thing. Like what would be the biggest difference between the Portland tandem and the Golden State tandem? Uh, pr let's just say pre and post KD because that obviously changed the game. But like, yeah. how, how different those two teams were and why Golden State ended up being an NBA champion? Well, versatility number one. You spoke to like six seven versus six. There's two different animals. Like six seven lets you guard twos and threes. 
um, maybe even smaller fours at times because the game is scaled down a little bit. CJ McCollum can't guard threes and fours. Like he's six three. So there, there's some versatility with Clay there that you don't necessarily have with CJ or Dame. And then, you know, Golden State has, has Draymond Green, you know, and for, for whatever your opinion is on whether or not Draymond can do the ver- the same things he does in Golden State dropped into any other situation. You know, the fact is he's in Golden State and he plays the way Golden State plays and he is an awesome complement to what those guys do. He is the guy that you're looking for in Portland to put around CJ and Dame. And so, you know, th- those are the differences. And when you're splitting hairs, you're talking about, you know, eight playoff teams, you're talking about, you know, tightly contested playoff series. You are essentially splitting hairs. It's like what is the That's advantage? The That's the difference. That's the advantage. That's why OKC when they did have Rush and KD or Rush and PG and out in Milwaukee, obviously Giannis is a, a difference maker, and, and we throw Middleton in there just sort of as a compliment there. But uh, look, Trailblazers, they're going to do fine. They're going to be probably a playoff team in the way they play, one of the uh, home court advantages, but uh, it'll be tough for them probably to get out of the second round or to get to the conference finals. So moving from the Trailblazers to the Knicks, Knicks are a big club, but they haven't operated like one in a long time. Um, it looks like they would have brought back Melo. I couldn't even believe this here. Um, and whether you should believe it or not, let's let's dissect this a little bit. So the Knicks were reportedly interested in a reunion with Carmelo Anthony. Had had they made a major splash in free agency, Sham Sharania of the Athletic and Stadium said that uh, the team viewed Anthony as a potential piece in a scenario in which they were a contender after signing free agents like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. KD and Kyrie sign, of course, with the Nets. So Melo, Raja, 35 years old. Look, the the resume, I can go on and on about that. Team USA, six All-Stars, all that much and more. How much do you buy this report? I could believe that. Um, I, I was saying um, on our show that I thought the Lakers would be an interesting destination for him if they had landed. I mean, even even with what they got. But if they were able to land a third, you know, I thought Carmelo in a, in a very – specific bench role would be a look for them at the at the league minimum you know so if you were going to build a team like that in new york heavy on the star power um and you needed to kind of supplement that with minimum guys who you could trust to come in and do a job and you knew that they could do it carmelo made sense in that space where 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 you didn't know how the dynamic would play out was how would he handle being in one of his former you know uniforms and, and not being you know, what he meant to the team at that time, like accepting that, that, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the role of coming off the bench and just supplemental. Yeah, so, correct. Like you don't know how Carmelo would handle that with the Knicks. He hasn't handled it well anywhere else, but I could see where the Knicks would think he could be a potential piece if they had gotten, you know, all of their wish list in free agents. Cause that's what we've talked about before with Melo, right? Cause you and I had this conversation about him getting that shot in OKC a full season and then yep. like eight games with Houston. Like, He's 35. He's used to a certain thing. Cause I, cause I mentioned why couldn't he be, what did I say? Like, why couldn't he be more like Manu? Yeah. Why couldn't he be more like the super sub, like maybe an, an Iggy? But it's just like because he's a different player and he was a really good player, right? Yeah. He was in a, he was not in their class. Like Manu came up as third fiddle. It's his whole upbringing as an NBA player was Timmy Duncan's better than me. Um, well, he, 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 might, he might not have felt like they were better than him, but it was clear that the ball was going to be Timmy's and the ball was going to be Tony's most nights before Mono even checked into the game. You know what I mean? Iggy was a number one in Philly, but somewhere 
you know, after that Philly, he played with AI and then he turned into a number one. He was always a fledgling number one. So, you know, he, people understand where they fall in the hierarchy of the NBA. Carmelo has never, like, and, until late in that career when he got shipped to OKC, operated as a number two. He's always the focal point of your offense, play with the ball in your hand type of player. And it's not an easy thing, you know, to teach an old dog new tricks, you know, to, to use, you know, the, the phrase, like it's not an easy thing to do at that point in someone's career. And even if as a player you say, Hey man, I'm cool with this adjustment. I'm going to try to make it. You don't know what it feels like until you're in the situation. And, and you know, I, I referenced Shaq with the Suns. When Shaq came to us with the Suns, mm-hmm. and I've said this before, his first thing was to tell Amari how much better Amari was going to be because he, Shaq was, you know, just going to kind of be playing second fiddle and it was going to open stuff up for Amari. And, you know, how he was going to make Steve Nash better by kind of facilitating how he'd get all, us all of these shots and he didn't need the ball, you know, and it was Shaq. And he, and he, I believe that Shaq believed that. And then within like two months, you know, Shaq was like, yo, you know, if you need me to be Shaq, if you want me to be Shaq, I need the ball. And you're like, I got it. That's what you're used to doing. You're used to having the ball. So it sounds good in theory. Right. It doesn't always work out like that. And I would imagine that, that Mello, you know, unfortunately, they're not going to be a whole lot more opportunity. They're not going to be a whole lot, many more opportunities for Melo uh, in the NBA. That would have been interesting to see. And to your point there, if we don't see Melo play another minute of basketball, especially in the association, do you have an idea of how he'll be remembered? Because obviously the monster class with Bosch and D Wade and LeBron, it, it, let's just say he doesn't play another minute and you and I have Canel and Bell five years from now. What's yeah. the conversation going to be like about one Mello? Uh, now Mello's an interesting one because there are people that live and breathe Mello. They think he's the best, you know, like score, one of the top three scorers to ever play the game, individual ISO type of score. And, you know, I'd argue, you know, that, that I wouldn't have him top three, but he's up there. Like he was really gifted as a scorer, but at the end of the day, um, that's what he was. He was a great scorer, you know, and as time fades and generations, you know, weren't brought up on watching Mello play, there's no real legacy there, you know, and, and, and that's not a knock on Mello. Like, you know, there, you gotta win championships. Like you, you have to be, you know, stamped in, 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 in franchise history for, for bringing things to them. And Mello was never able to do that for a team. So, you know, eventually, Melo will be remembered as a really, really good scorer in the NBA at one point. Yeah, and there's been guys, you know, we're of the age of like, you know, 80s and 90s where a lot of good players didn't win rings. Michael Jordan had a lot to do with that, but he's got the NCAA title, he's got the Team UA stuff, and he's got all the individual accolades. So he's going to be regarded as one of the better players. It just yeah. will be not as good as some of his peers. See, the, th- the, the, thing. the thing about Melo, right, so because – when I said that and it came out of my mouth, I'm like, man, was I too harsh on Mello? Like I just, I'm thinking about it while you're talking, right? And I'm, I'm like, I'm going to go back to like Reggie Miller, right? Like Reggie, Reggie, mm-hmm. you know, Reggie is regarded in a, in a, in a, in a bit more of a favorable light than I said Mello would be, you know, like, but he never won a championship, you know? And so if Mello winds up doing something post career where he's still relevant in the NBA and people can still associate like the things that Mello did, um, you, you know, with Mello, cause you're still seeing him around the game. You know, maybe he is, has more cachet than that as, as time goes on, but you still re- remember Reggie for specifics, like shooting, 
you know, the, the incident. Right. Like you, moments. you remember moments with, 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 um, with Reggie. I don't know what moments you would associate with Mello as time passes. Yeah. Mello, 22nd all time in points scored. Reggie, by the way, 24th. And I think again, uh, he, and he may, the tough thing is his, some of his peers have won rings. It, it'll be interesting to see where he's grouped because again, you mentioned Reggie Miller, you know, Carmelo and John Stockton. Chuck, you know, all those guys who are good, Drexler and Porter and all those guys that had shots that just weren't able to win, but they're they're considered elite. Obviously, Hall of Fame's going to be... Oh, he's going to be a Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, no yeah for no, sure. For sure. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Tommy and Raja here to talk about football, and our studio's out here at Fort Lauderdale, not far from us out in Miami. The Dolphins trying to kick things into gear yet again, try to challenge the Patriots. Same thing with the Jets and the Bills. It's been that way since Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have roamed... Foxborough, but uh, a guy that used to be on the staff, Brian Flores out in New England, says that uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick in the driver's seat to be his starter, not Josh Rosen, said, quote, it's pretty clear to me that Ryan Fitzpatrick's leading the way. That is the Miami head coach telling reporters he's done that in a lot of areas from leadership to production on the field to meeting rooms to the walkthroughs. This is an ongoing competition, but right now he is leading the way adding he's been more productive and at the end of the day that's what it comes down to he runs the offense very efficiently has great rapport with the entire team lots of leadership ability and we need that to continue we need him to grow in that role and this is actually the perfect conversation to have about what we started the show with which was sort of quarterback being the position of leadership mm-hmm. and who you are organically right so we know Ryan Fitzpatrick and Fitzmagic, and he he's had his moments where he's either been a starter, gotten his teams there close to the playoffs, and then last year with Tampa Bay. But there's a reason why he's been on a handful of teams because he's just not sustainable. On the other side, you got Josh Rosen, who comes out of college. Everyone says he's got you know there are a lot of people saying that he was the best of the bunch. Mm-hmm. And yet now he's on his second team in, in as many years, and he can't even be in the driver's seat uh, uh, for this thing. What do you think about the dynamic there in Miami? Um, uh, it's a very interesting one. Um, not being able to be in the driver's seat in, in front of Ryan Fitzpatrick is not really an indictment to me on Josh Rosen because Fitz. You don't, Pat- okay, you don't say things. So. No, because I think Fitzpatrick is, it, it, he is not a backup quarterback. Um, but he's not a really good starting quarterback. So he is, just good enough to beat out probably most young quarterbacks, right? He's going to walk in the room. He's got great rapport. You saw it last year with Deshaun uh, uh, Jackson, and those those guys love him. Like almost to a point where you worried about, you know, whether um, uh, what, uh, what Winston? Winston was going to be able to come back and get his job back, right? Like he has that effect, and he does it, you know, in small sample sizes wherever he goes. And that's what we have here with the Dolphins. It's a relative small sample size right now. So if you're a young or a young coach, new coach. Trying to develop a, a, an identity and, and trying to establish a culture, Rance Fitzpatrick is going to do that way better than a young kid in Josh Rosen, right? Like Josh Rosen is a young buck, but I'm, but hear me out. Though. Oh, no, okay. Here's the problem with that: you know Fitzpatrick, to your point, is not a sustainable thing, right? Um, you went out and you got Josh Rosen, who's who's got way more potential possibly. You don't want to leave this year as the Dolphins not knowing what you have in Josh Rosen, even if it means that you give up on some of the you know potential upside in the short term with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You have to get Rosen on the field. You have to figure out what he is, if he's something that you can move forward with. And if that means you you lose in the process, even better. It's a win-win because now we're up at the block again next year in the draft, and we can either assess that position you know, via the draft and, and find 
the, the, the eventual quarterback of the future for the Dolphins, or we know we've got Rosen and we can go out and find another number one player at another position. Fitzpatrick makes no sense for me in this space with the Dolphins. The thing we're showing there at the bottom of our screen is a quote, Fitzpatrick is the clear leader. And to me, that is the tell, right? That is this thing. He's not the better quarterback. He's not the more talented quarterback. He's just a clear leader. And that is what a new coach trying to set the tone for that team. You want things a certain way. You're trying to build a culture. My only issue is, and obviously Danny, if you're here, could speak much more to that, is just sort of like <sighs> – you have Fitzpatrick, and it's all going to be good. Camp, he's a leader. He's doing all the things. Hey, young buck, here we go over there. Sure. But then once he starts throwing that four-interception game, then you're just going to turn to Josh and go, now we're going to come to you. His confidence is already going to be it- shot. And, and, and well, and here's the thing, too. is like, again, Rosen's not a Baker Mayfield. He's not the rah-rah type guy. He's not even a Josh Allen or, or, or even Sam Darnold to that effect. He is a more cerebral, internal type guy. I just feel like... You know, Brian Flores has just got here. And he's a defensive guy, so maybe he thinks this way where, where I want more sustainability. I want more what I, I know what I have sure. in him. But the thing with me is like, is you gotta give Josh a shot. And, 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 and maybe it's more on Josh Rosen that he hasn't taken the reins and he hasn't shown you in OTAs and minicamps what to do. I just think, you know, your, your job is fairly secure. You can try to ride this out. I just think you, I would rather start with Rosen before and then turn to Fitzpatrick rather than the other one. I'm 100% in lockstep with you. This is a coach decision, it sounds like, and not a, an, an executive or an administrative front office decision because the conversation I would be having with him is like, coach, look, I understand. One of them is is more ready to echo your sentiments and get everybody on the page and establish the culture that you're trying to establish. Here's the problem. We made an investment in Josh Rosen. One of these guys could potentially be the future of our of our franchise at the quarterback position, and it ain't damn Ryan Fitzpatrick. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to take this thing all the way down to the wire, and at the end, you will get up there and say, Josh Rosen won a close quarterback competition, and we're going to go with the young fella. If he does not step up through four games and he does not look like the guy – Ryan Fitzpatrick has always played in that space. He's fine. He's going to come in. He's going to be unfazed by the fact that he didn't win the job. He's going to put up huge numbers for a couple games. And then he's going to regress to the mean. We know what's going to happen there. But we're not going to shatter Josh Rosen right now, not figure out who he is as a quarterback, and be sitting around next offseason asking the same damn questions. Do we have a quarterback moving forward or not? Josh Rosen hits the field. It's what's in the best interest of the Dolphins. Any any other way this is played, the Dolphins are just being the damn Dolphins. Yeah, and you know what? Look, look, the NFL, they never have years because the guys are playing for contracts but the Dolphins by the way are not going to be very good Landry we talked about is over in Cleveland it's going to be a rough year for them so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and and whether Fitzmagic ends up being the starter week one back here on Canel and Bell time to talk about gains right weight gains 12 to 16 pounds for one Trey Young and if you know Trey Young he's a little lanky a little skinny but the dude can score that's how he's always been so he is going to go to California to train with Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Focus on his mid-range jumper. Um, we're talking about him seeing some results already in terms of working with a trainer. His name is Alex Bazell. Quote, the two have spent almost a month together already and another two or three weeks already had planned for in August. As with the other trainer, too, Young's maturation is noticeable that the trainer's seen saying he's gained 12 to 16 pounds this offseason just based on the eye test. 
Young's muscle mass certainly has improved from where he is at the end of the season. That is one of the trainers talking about uh, one Trey Young. Um, so, look, you can see the video. What does 12 to 16 pounds mean for a player like Trey Young? Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be big for him. Um, look, it's a lot of weight. Um, you have to remember he's 20 years old, right? So, you know, what well, he should have been in his second year of college last year. Now, I went away to school at 6'5", 185. By my junior year, I was 6'5", 225. Like, so a lot of weight goes on a frame from your freshman year of college to your senior year of college. And he's right in, you know, that age where his body should be maturing and putting on weight with the proper diet and, and the proper, like, you know, uh, uh, workout routine. So I don't know that this is one of those things where you have to be like, oh, my God, that's going to be too much weight for him because, you know, he's always played at 215 pounds and now he's bulking up to 227 and he's 32 years old. It's not that, right? This is a, a frame filling out, which which – your body's going to do anyway when you're, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old. So, um, I think it's somewhat natural. They might have expedited it a little bit with the weight training and stuff like that. But for him to, to withstand the rigors of an NBA season, um, over and over again, like you got through your first year, you were relatively unscathed in terms of injuries, but to can, to continue to do that when you're going to be kind of the focal point of an offense and guys are really going to be locking in on you and trying to make your life you know, miserable in terms of the defensive pressure and the physicality that they use guarding you. Having a little bit of extra armor is going to be really, really good for Trey Young. Being able to have, you know, the the shoulder to, in the chicken wing to be able to get somebody off of you and create that space. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to be big. You need to armor up when you are the focal point of an offense and you're going to be asked to finish and navigate through all of those bodies in NBA games. Look, you're going to forget more ball than I'll ever have in my brain. But let me ask you this though, it's just a counter for me, right? Cuz you talk about the rigors of the season and why the, the 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 weight for him will be good, but for instance, like we just talked about Dame and CJ, they're not I mean Dame's pretty yoked, but CJ's really not. Kyrie's never really been that way and he doesn't live at the rim like D-Rose or AI. Kyrie's big. Kyrie's bigger than you think. Like he's not yoked, but he's a big body. Like when you see him, like he's not skinny. He's got a big frame. He's just not a guard. Uh, he's just not cut up. CJ um, has put on a lot of weight, whether it looks like it or not. I would bet that he's giving you about 10 to 12 pounds since he came into the league. Do you know what I mean? So, like, sometimes we see these guys, and, yeah, they're still slight. But, man, like, like even Steph Curry. Like, Steph's probably giving you 15 pounds since he's been in the NBA, at least 10 to 12, you know? And so, you know, the the body has to do that. Um, number one, you're getting older. Um, and, and, and as you get, you know, better tutelage in the weight room and you become more, you know um, – uh, obsessed, if you will, with your body and your body being able to do what it needs to do to play in an NBA game, you, you, you're going to pick up weight. You do worry to some degree about, you know, can you move the same way when you pick up that much weight? But guys now are dialing in their 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 weightlifting programs or their whatever the, the trainer has you doing, right. so that you're not giving up much speed to carry that type of weight. Plus, you you're more I mean? agile than you've ever been. So again, I'm just saying the biggest takeaway from this moral of the story is the 12 to 16. Maybe a couple pounds off, but generally part of the process. Yeah, what they're saying is, man, he's getting bigger. Right. Like, he's getting more physical. He's getting stronger, and all of that is going to help him. In terms of working with Kobe, I think it's fantastic. And I know, you know, people don't really love the mid-range game, and analytically it's it's not, uh you know, supported by a lot of the, you know, the analytics people in the NBA. But, it, you know, it, when you're talking about a guy who shoots with the type of range and depth that he can get shots off uh with – um adding an ability to stop and pop before you get to the rim because 
I don't know that Trey's ever going to be a fantastic NBA finisher just because he's not that big, right? So being able to like have somebody run you off of that three, get downhill as fast as you can, and then be able to put the brakes on and, and pull up while that guy's in full retreat, adding a mid-range to his game I think will be a huge weapon for him. And who better to do that with than Kobe? Yep, and we saw CJ with that, what, 40-plus point game of the playoffs. He was just killing people with the mid-range, Jay. That elbow jumper uh, CJ was, was knocking down. All right, we got a few more minutes to wrap things up, we'll keep it with the the weight management theme, and it's Tom Brady who says he's added muscle to make sure he can take hits. Obviously, in his 40s now, and he said, "quote I wanted to get a little bit bigger this year and put on a few more pounds, try to absorb the hits a little more." That was him addressing local reporters for the first time on Wednesday. He said, "I worked pretty hard on that." So right now, you're talking about Tom Brady, six foot four, two hundred and twenty five pounds. He turns 42 years old on Saturday trying to get through yet another season. It's that whole TV 12 thing he's got with Guerrero, and he put that in a little docuseries on Facebook. 42 years old, trying to trying to do what he do. Right? I, I'm normally not in support of 40-year-old athletes trying to put on more weight. Like, that's usually counterintuitive. Uh, as I got older, I tried to strip weight. You know, like when I started getting 33, you or you're trying to lean out, take some of the pressure off of the joints, like... You know, make sure that you can, you, you, your knees can handle the banging. Tom Brady is the exception though, right? Like Tom doesn't do a lot of running. He's not worried about his quickness. He's not worried about whether, you know, he can stay in front of someone or, 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 or block a defensive end. Like he's back there standing relatively stationary, um, delivering balls. And if he feels like, you know, he needs a little extra, you know, cushion for the pushing, so to speak, like you, you, bulk up a little bit it's not really going to affect anything he does and i'm never going to second guess tom brady telling me that he needs to do yeah. something like if he says he needs 12 pounds go get him brother is if i lived on kombucha drinks or i'm just eating matcha or like whatever it, whatever it is i mean it's working because he talks right. about you know the pliability stuff obviously it's interesting to say that the muscle and if it's the muscle it's almost to your point with the nba stuff he's just got to be able to take that hit the one that does not knock him out right of the game or for the rest of the season the one last thing we wrap things up too about about diet and nutrition. Like, what's the biggest thing? Twenty years ago, you're in the league, and, and how athletes deal with that today? There's just way more education um, uh, that that is at the fingertips of an athlete now in terms of. Does know, everybody have a guy? Everybody has like a guy or no? No, most teams now have a guy. I, a guy for the team and and a, most play. The money is. I mean, you're talking guys making twenty million dollars a year. Right. Like we were having to make twenty million dollars on a contract, right? So the ability to have a guy aside from the team's guy, um, it it, it it's what they're way more you know accessible to because you can quite frankly you can pay for them now. You know, so a lot of guys have chefs, um, and that. You know, I was, I was thinking it, Kevin Love. Kevin Love, when he when he shredded all that weight, he said he can win on a completely different diet. I don't know if he could have done that 20 years ago. Well, you have to have a support staff to do that. You have to have people cooking for you. You have to pe have people making sure that, like, meals are prepared for you. Because what happens, like, anybody on a diet, you get hungry. Like, you want to eat. Um, and especially when you've been working out and practicing and doing all of that, you're looking for whatever is close. You're trying to get something in your stomach. So if you don't have those, you know, good, nutritious meals at your fingertips, you know, you could wind up fueling your body the wrong way. Athletes today just are way, more, way better educated about the things putting they put into their body uh, and, and, and what the body will output for you when you put said things into your body. They've got way more uh, information at their fingertips. All right, and with that, I'm really hungry. I'm going to get my protein cookie. <laughs> I, certainly appreciate I might go get some french fries or something, right, bro. Oh. Canelo Pell, we'll see you next time. <laughs>